0: Welcome to Mulks TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, the AFL announced a $2.5 billion deal, that's nine zeros, friends, for the broadcast rights for the seasons 2017 through 2022 inclusive. The six-year deal sees Foxtel pay $1.3 billion to show every game live except the grand final, Seven pay $900 million for three to four games live every week and Telstra $300 million for the digital rights. AFL footballers around the country rejoiced at the realisation they'll all finally be able to afford the Shawshank Redemption on Blu-ray.
1: Since the dawn of time, man has searched far and wide for the best things on TV. What to watch. How to watch. Who's watching what? Free to wear this, VPN that. Plug in and listen to what other people think about
0: what you are and are not watching. It's Mock's TV Talk, the podcast, with your host, Steve Mock. Joining me this week, a man who has written, performed or hosted comedy TV in Australia randomly over the last 10 years, be it The Mansion, Let Loose Live... Good Newsweek, or Wednesday Night Fever. As a solo performer, he's won a number of awards and nominations for his performances and music, and as a possible international terrorist, has had a tweet confiscated by Dubai Airport Security. As the meatbag half of his duo, Sammy J and Randy, he's about to be seen in his new comedy series, Sammy J and Randy in Ricketts Lane. It's not the puppet, but the other one, Australian TV royalty, Sammy J. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, Steve. Hello to you and your listeners. And I've sort of got post-traumatic stress after hearing you read out my list of television credits today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll offer it. It's only uh, uh, just a little grab, a smidgen of what you've done, though.
1: Oh yeah, but it reminds you that all of those were really sort of one series and then and then completed projects. Um, <laughs> none of none of them have really gone on to sort of you know have special bonus DVD feature releases, um, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can break that track record with the, the upcoming show that you mentioned.
0: A very, very excited. Look, that is a part of the main reason that we're talking today is to talk about Sammy J and Randy and Ricketts Lane, uh, which is coming soon, very soon, in fact, to ABC iview and then to our proper television screens uh, in October. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about all of the, the delivery mechanisms and the nerdy stuff uh, shortly, but Sammy J, there is one question I did need to ask just before we get into it at all, please. What's with you having an issue with security guards and airports because they don't have senses of humour?
1: <laughs> um, I look, look, the, the 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 long view, Steve, is that I'm not. I'm sort of what am I? Generation Y, technically, but I'm really not into the internet in a huge way. I like mm. my websites and I like the you know reading the news and so on. But I've always had a thing against Twitter just from its. You know, just the nature of it, how it happens these days. That those was,
0: pricks on Twitter are horrible, man.
1: Well, and not just that, even just the whole, the, the, you know, the landscape of, you know, just oh, someone will say something and then there'll be a news article because it's controversial and everyone will pile mm-hmm. on and then it's just sort of society eating its own vomit day after day after day. And so I just made a decision some years ago that I would stay off Twitter. Um, but I'd already started an account and I hadn't tweeted yet. And, <laughs> yes. And this <laughs> became something of an ongoing joke for those who were following me, sort of waiting for me to, to tweet. Um, and... I still hadn't tweeted after about four years, and then last year I was going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to do a Mm. a show, and I finally completed my tweet, um, and it was the most beautiful, joyous little piece. Steve, (laughs) I can't—I almost, sorry—I almost bring myself to tears just remembering it. It was just a gorgeous, (laughs) a gorgeous little sentence, Um, and I I wrapped it all up. And and I was on my Facebook page that I am quite active on. I was sort of, you know, um, showing the journey of this tweet across cross the land. Mm. The problem was that I'd wrapped it up in a little box that said, do not open, which at the time just all felt very innocent as I was packing my bags, but I got to Dubai yes. airport and I was taking photographs of myself with the box. And, um, and again, putting this on Facebook, you know, hashtag Dubai airport <laughs> with a box saying, do not open. And at this point, uh, someone comes to me on the shoulders and, and asks to see what's inside the box, which is not a, not an unreasonable question from a security mm. guard in an airport. Um, but they just got very confused. Then the next twenty minutes was one of the more bizarre experiences of my career, <laughs> as I attempted to explain that it was a tweet. But then when I when I asked to see my Twitter page, there was no tweet on my Twitter page, so it looked like I was lying. Um, <laughs> 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 and, they, and then they effectively look with that sort of wishing to bore you your listeners, you know, the, uh, they took it off me. And then I had spent two weeks in Edinburgh, and then on my way back through via Dubai. I went to get it back from them thinking yes. there'd be no problems. Um, not realizing they'd been monitoring my Facebook page where I, I think the, the specific quote that, that did it in for me was um, that Dubai Air, airport security staff are um, humorless assholes. <laughs> <laughs> at which point I did not get my, my, my box nor my tweet back, um, which was in, in both parts heartbreaking, but mainly hilarious <laughs> because um, my tweet then uh, remains at Dubai airport and also affords me the perfect excuse to never be on Twitter again, which i sort of quite happy with the way it worked out. The
0: tweet that never was or never can be.
1: (laughs) Parting is such tweet sorrow, as I said at the time.
0: Oh, gosh. Yes. Well, as someone – look, I travel for my day job. I travel internationally quite a bit, and I I remain uh, with a healthy level of respect for the people with the guns Mm -hmm. that you meet at the airports and and all of those sorts of things. I may have called them, you know – all sorts of things uh, on the Twitter, Um, but only when they're just seemingly, you know, the the ludicrousity of getting through LAX security is outrageous, people. Don't even start me. But I have learnt that they are humorless bastards and they definitely don't like being called that to their face. (laughs) So I think your first mistake was possibly putting it in print as a part of an ongoing conversation with them.
1: It's quite quite ironic, really, that my whole anti-Twitter – State of mind was sort of I was brought undone by the fact that I was still putting stuff on Facebook, which is just as bad really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but we have, for those who are following Sammy J and didn't know why he hadn't tweeted, there's your answer. There
1: it is in all, in all its glory. And um, you would not believe, Steve, particularly as you start to promote a TV show, which I'm now doing for the first time uh, in my life, how many people get angry about the fact that I'm not on Twitter. You know, you have marketing <laughs> meetings and people say, okay, now, you can then leverage your fans and so on. And I have to explain that I'm not actually yeah. – yes, I have a Twitter page, but there's nothing on it and there will never be anything on it. Um, people sort of go very red in the face.
0: I've been doing this this uh, little TV jig just long enough to see the ABC crawl into uh, 2015 and understand that having um, the talent, people like yourself, Sammy, connect with the audience and all of those nice social media words – uh, is really important to promoting the show now. Hey, everyone, make sure you tune in and see us on the show with the stuff and things and, and all that sort of stuff. And I can only imagine the perpe- the perplexed looks that you got from some of the wonderful marketing and, and PR team, when you said yes, I have a Twitter account. No, I'm not using it.
1: Well, in, in their defence, they, 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 once I explain the joke behind it, everyone's very on board. But but more more generally, in the comedy world, you know, particularly theatres, you turn up to a theatre and you're doing a live show, and they oh, yeah. their entire their entire um, publicity plan is we'll use Sammy J's Twitter account, <laughs> and then I turn up <laughs> for my show and, and explain that no, I haven't been mentioning it at all because that's when you really get your ass kicked.
0: Yeah, <laughs> those theatre people are so unforgiving.
1: <laughs> I, I I love this whole idea that you know I've sort of just nothing has changed in my approach to my life in the mm. last ten years. Um, you know, ten years ago I wasn't on Twitter. Now I'm still not on Twitter. But just by default, just by doing nothing, you can suddenly become an accidental asshole or accidentally bad at your job because you're not doing something. I was very into MySpace. I always am. I always you know told people very quickly. I was I was a demon at MySpace, and I was just mm. mastering that when. It fell out of favor, so I just give up now. I'm just not going to attach my horse to any new technological wagon.
0: Have you not uh, gotten back onto the MySpace bandwagon since it came back, or is it now out of favor well, again? No, because
1: I assume. I didn't even know it'd come back. I assume someone said that on Twitter, but since I'm yeah. not on Twitter, I'm. A, <laughs> it's it's a vicious cycle now. of forever.
0: Social media pariah, Sammy J. <laughs> but
1: this is. I'm also just prostituting myself because I'm. Yeah, you know, I have a Facebook page where I do do a lot of connecting and so on, and I like that because it's it still feels like a little family there. Yes, like, you know.
0: Oh, and the arguments and the long-form irrational comments and conversations that can take place. Whereas in Twitter, because you have a a 140-character limit, they have to be very short, sharp, uh, things that I like about you, things that I don't like about you. There's very little nuance Mm -hmm. in Twitter.
1: See, Steve, I'm I'm already – my heart rate is racing now because, you know, here we are on a podcast and I've spent 10 minutes talking about Twitter and I've just explained I hate Twitter. Like it's ruining my life. Everywhere (laughs) I go, I can't get away
0: from it. Well, the best part is that I won't then ask you to promote this on your, your Twitter account well, because you can't.
1: In fact, in fact, you should do that at the very end of the chat. That would be the perfect way to sign off. <laughs> just hear me scream and fade out to silence.
0: <laughs> now, Sammy J, there is a ton of uh, stuff for us to do. Not just your dalliances with uh, people that wear rubber gloves. Uh, <laughs> have you got some time to talk about some news?
1: Absolutely. Get all your TV news at mulkstvtalk.com.
0: The federal government today, podcast time, have offered an amendment to legislation that will allow the free-to-air networks the option to switch their primary channel from standard definition to glorious high definition. Welcome to 2005, Australia. The legislation is expected to pass in time for the AFL and NRL grand finals this year, though the networks won't be drawn on their ability to organise the broadcasts in HD in time. In other news, the networks also will not comment on their inability to arrange a route in a brothel. Now, Sammy J, I, <laughs> I appreciate that you as a fellow nerd love good things, love the techery, love the bits that make you go, hmm, that's that's very sweet. Mm. Now, when it comes to standard defin- definition, high definition, from a sporting perspective, do you have an opinion?
1: <laughs> from a sporting perspective? Uh- perspective, Steve, you could remove all live coverage of Mm -hmm. all sporting codes across Australia, nay, throughout the world, and it would Mm -hmm. make not a jot of difference to my entire life until the day they piled the dirt upon my (laughs)
0: corpse. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, Sammy J, due to die any day now.
1: Um, uh, Yeah, I I, I have a great interest in high-definition channels, obviously, Mm. I think that's good for all, but um, not... Not a fan of sport, and very proud, very proudly so.
0: It's such a strange beast from an Australian TV landscape. Uh, Free to air networks really are only surviving on reality television, sport, and news. And one of those things is legislated as part of their license conditions. So it's kind of a crazy thing that we are 2015 now. The fact that the government has stopped them from being able to broadcast pretty much anything decent in high definition is. <sighs> I just shake my head well, yeah. from a television point of view.
1: But I, I have to, I'm also, um, you know, I, 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 as a massive fan of Frontline, that was one of my very, you know, mm-hmm. seminal sort of, you know, influences back in the day. And I just remember watching Behind the Frontline, the behind-the-scenes um, uh, show they made about, I think, I think Series yes. 2 at the time, and just hearing Santo talking about, you know, that that was filmed on a handicam and so on, it was, and that was part of the joy of the show was that it was quite low fi but, for me, watching that was never an issue with the quality of the vision because the performances and the scripts were brilliant. And to this day, I maintain yes. that I really, you know, I, when I'm watching stuff on Apple TV or, or whatever, I, I buy it in standard def, not high def because I just don't care. Like it, if i once I'm gripped in, I'm gripped, you know, whether I'm watching it on a tiny tablet sure. or a giant screen. So I actually am slightly unmoved as well by, by the HD argument, but I don't mean that to diss those who have beautiful TV screens and want to watch stuff in, in high quality. It's just a, a, a personal sort of um, perspective.
0: Well, we also have to take into account that you're a comedian and you live in a share house and can only afford a small, you know, 24-centimetre colour cathode ray tube television.
1: (laughs) Yes, um, although the share house, you know, these days is is my my toddler daughter who's who's pretty much got her hands on any screen that is, you know,
0: going. Can you imagine the conversation you'll have with her in, let's give it 10 years, where you're, no, no, look, standard definition is fine, darling. Dad? Where's my Dad, hologram? Come on. Yeah, come on. 4K is so last week. <laughs> it's a great transition for us to then talk about uh, the upcoming program, Sammy J and Randy in Ricketts Lane, because uh, I, I have been one of the lucky few to see but one of the many episodes that are coming. And to just talk about, from an art direction perspective, it's got a very definite suburban, almost 1970s look about it, doesn't it? It's delightful. <laughs> well, you,
1: you, you're actually I right. This actually does segue perfectly out of the last... Fifteen minutes of me being a grumpy old man, <laughs> 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 because I want to assure your listeners that I'm I'm really not. I, I love everything. I love life. I'm very optimistic. Um, but there is something I, I just I'm also quite nostalgic about the slightly simpler time. And this entire series is it's not set in the '70s or '80s. No, um, yeah. So we like to think that Sammy J and Randy, where we're simply just slightly backwards. It's the same deal. We just have, we we have our house that we live in. We never happened to get the internet. We never happened to get a good TV screen. And so here we are in a house with a rotary phone, no mobile phones and so on. And it just, <laughs> and, and because we wrote the scripts with no mobile, no mobile phones in them, just as a bit of a challenge, we thought, oh, how can we write storylines that you can't solve problems by having a phone ring? Mm. That was where we started. Then when the art department got the scripts in pre-production, they came to us and said, oh, is this set in the 70s or 80s? And we said, well, no, <laughs> oh. we went, oh, I guess. And suddenly, like, it was just this cascade of, With the vision, the vision of the show, as you say now, it looks so retro in this glorious way. And I'm driving this old, beaten up yellow Volvo, and and there is, uh, you know, right down to the money that we use is the old 1980s Australian Mm. paper notes. Um, And it's just this gorgeous, for us, a gorgeous um, uh, nostalgic kick.
0: It really does look amazing. The browns and yellows, uh, 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 even the suit to the, the the decor of the law office where you work. Uh, a lot it, of moustaches in the law office. Oh, a lot of moustaches. A yeah. lot of great and and great sort of hairstyles of the era that could still you would still get away with today.
1: Well, you know, I, I mean, we're a fairly visual act, Randy and I. Once you've seen our faces, particularly Randy's face, um, <laughs> you tend not to forget them. But we still we we really wanted this this show to have its own unique look that someone could, if you just tuned in for five seconds, you'd say, oh yeah, that's that's Sam and Jan, Sam and Jan Randy's show, you know. That, that mm. um, and I think you know whatever people think of the show, hopefully, even if they hate it, they'll be able to pinpoint the show that they hate very quickly.
0: <laughs> what were the challenges for you guys in translating what was a very successful live comedic stage performance to televisual land?
1: Um, it was, well, it was lots and lots of challenges. Um, to, to, to boil them down, probably, because we actually wrote, this is it was very reverse engineered. Randy and I wrote our first live stage show called Ricketts mm. Lane five or six years ago. And we wrote that because we wanted to make a TV show, <laughs> but we had nothing to show for it. So we thought, okay, well, let's just do a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which actually represents the sort of show we'd want to make. So that show, um, it had all the building blocks for this series in it. I was playing a, a really bad lawyer. Randy had an mm-hmm. ex-wife who was trying to win back. And so we set this whole world up and we just tried to invite lots of TV producers and so so forth along. And the show went well enough with our, with our crowd and live audience. So we started doing more shows like that and, and so on. So by the time we got... Anywhere near a development deal for this TV series, we had three live shows under our belt. <laughs> and at that stage we thought, oh, well, we'll just convert those scripts into a you know, from an hour into half an hour. That'll be mm. fine. <laughs> and we had like a sure. three days in a room together, and, and that was a very steep learning curve, realizing how much of those scripts were based on a live environment and how much of them relied on the the energy of a crowd. And and mm. and so it was completely back to basics for us in terms of the scripts themselves. And we were um, very very fortunate to have the wisdom of none other than Tim Ferguson uh, as our script editor.
0: What was it like working with really now a guy who we could classify as one of the godfathers of Australian comedy Yeah, his time with uh, the All-Stars, the Doug Anthony All-Stars kids? Look it up. It's on the internet. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, phenomenal. And I know he's gone on to lecture about um, comedic writing and those sorts of things. Having his involvement, what's that like?
1: Well, it was, it was you know, brilliant because it's exactly the same. You know, we, we – Personally, mine and I can speak for Randy as well. His uh, influences really come from the you know '90s. That's that's when I grew up in mm-hmm. school. So I was watching, you know, that was towards the latter days of Darts and then and so forth. And and um, I, I knew Tim was getting involved in this sort of thing because I read his book about narrative comedy, and and so we had a chat to him to see whether it was something he'd be interested in. And that first conversation, you know, just the questions he was asking were just like cutting straight to the heart of, of the matter Excellent. and discussing, you know. Um, because one of the first things we always knew about in the series was that randy who may look like a puppet i know and he may sound like a puppet but he's not a puppet you know he's a real dude absolutely and, and the show was never ever going to have any jokes about randy being a puppet that was that was just not on the cards for us that that, that in, yep. in essence that is one of the primary jokes of the show that randy's actually a more believable character than i am in the show <laughs> and he has this he has an ex-wife who's trying to win back and there's all these you know issues he's dealing with and and But, you know, it's amazing the number of people you speak to who still assume that's the way you, you, you're you going to go. So Tim got that straight away and it's like, okay, well, how would you build that believability and, you know, setting the rules for the world and so on. And, yeah, just from our first half hours of chat, he, he was on board straight away. And so, um, yeah, he, he was incredibly helpful in knocking the, the scripts into shape very much from a structure perspective because we'd come back and mm-hmm. we, we did approach the TV show. The similarity with our stage show was that we started with trying to write a funny story. And so you know, I- any of the episodes we wanted to have, just three sentences, you could explain the story and it made people laugh, you know. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, episode five, uh, Sammy and, and Randy have uh, discovered that a neighbour is putting their excess rubbish in their rubbish bin so they organise a <laughs> stakeout overnight to catch the culprit. You know, now yes. you're laughing and potentially because I put some pressure on you by um, saying that hopefully that would <laughs> make you laugh <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, we, we really wanted to get those right. Once we got those right, we moved on to, you know, one-page overviews of the story and so on, and the jokes and the lines didn't come till till last, of course. But but Tim was really instrumental in that that building phase and the structure phase to make sure that everything was slipping in. So by the time we got to writing the scripts, um, we we sort of hopefully had a structure that was going to support it because we th- this is a very narrative-based show, and we really wanted the stories and characters mm-hmm. to actually be something you wanted to follow, not just as an, um you know from one scene to the to the next. So hopefully, people who watch the start of an episode will want to hang around to see the end.
0: Uh, well certainly it, it had me and in the one episode that I've seen I cannot wait to see the others I've read the synopses and and all of those sorts of things for the com- the coming episodes there's so much just in that writing layer I mean you, you talk about how uh you know the fact that we acknowledge that Randy is is a real character in the context of the show and that that's just how you guys play it with him in all of your performances really isn't it it's it's not the whole aggro I'm a puppet thing it's no no Randy is a three-dimensional part of the whole thing and and yeah. that that character development the way that that then plays out into the uh, the show there's a moment in the first episode uh, and I won't give too much away where he goes to see uh, his former wife uh, trying to win her back mm. and presses the doorbell and and a, a beautiful moment happens and it's hilarious and confronting and scary and like I was seriously laughing it was so so great it must have been very weird for uh, I can't remember the actress's Uh, name Samantha Healy
1: the wonderful Samantha Healy yes who plays his ex-wife
0: so great for her to have to play that out because it's just not anything you would expect well you don't wake up and do that
1: (laughs) I'm very I'm I'm very pleased that you mentioned that moment because um you know Randy Randy who does shows on his own I hasten to add and in solo stand-up shows and everything as well and anyone who sees him you know for the first time they always come away saying the same thing they say oh my gosh I forgot what I was looking at after five minutes because he's just so funny in his own right. And, mm. and he knows that. And I know that. So I'm so used to that, you know, we've been working together for so many years. It's not even a thought, but when we came to auditions, people would turn up and some actors would really suddenly freak out working <laughs> with him. And, and I, I think it's um, something that I, I just take for granted now, you know, I I love Randy and work with Randy every day. So it's just mm. not on my mind, but to, it, you just mentioned that reminds me that, yeah, viewers are watching this for the first time. And, Hopefully we, we get that balance where very early on or at least by after the first episode, viewers are calibrated to our world and then they just, you know, we, we want people to laugh at the show because it's funny. We don't want them laughing because it looks funny, you know, and <laughs> so, and, and nor, nor does that work, you know. We, we know from our live yeah. shows, you know, you can rely on a Papa joke once, sure, but after two minutes people expect you to actually be uh, earning earning the laughter properly. So um, as soon, the sooner that people treat Randy seriously, the better for the comedy in my opinion. Yeah
0: absolutely and and that there's the, everything in the way that the the episode and i'm sure the rest of the series rolls out is just that instant acknowledgement that you guys share a house and uh like you're you're basically playing a game of tiggy is is so great <laughs> yeah it's very so uh, great uh, the, the opening oh, actually, I shall.
1: i don't know I'm not, I'm not i've never been in addition to promoting my own show before um steve so i don't know how much i'm meant to give away or not but yeah, that oh, that, bits. that first scene is um, one of our favourites. It's a very violent game of, of hide and seek.
0: Yeah, oh, it's and it's so great. Um, it, now, not only have you got uh, an incredible, you know, standing cast alongside you guys uh, that play some bloody funny characters. Your boss, um, uh, Borkman. Yes, Mister Borkman. He's my God. he's
1: my yeah Nathan Lovejoy. The, uh, I yeah, an incredible actor. Who just brings that that character um, to life so beautifully? You know, I, yeah. I, I just would want to watch him constantly. Just uh, yeah,
0: I, yeah. I, and his introduction to us peeing on the the plant, the pot plant in your office, is delightful, right? It's so so good. Well, it's
1: yeah, it's you know, it's um, <laughs> it's not rocket science, I guess. For us, we, we you know, Sammy J is a very bad lawyer. We wanted a boss that would just antagonise him as much as possible, and so. You know, he doesn't come – one idea, of course, is your boss walks in and pisses in your face, but that's just too much, too soon. Mm. So he he just walks in and just casually just pisses in the pot plant just as he's chatting, but there's no reference to it. It's it's just how he he operates. He's just that kind of guy.
0: And the the lusty secretary Wednesday – um, who has also been recently in Wentworth. Yeah, George
1: Achara, who is just yeah. on the – on one, like all the actors, really, but we're just so lucky to have them because I'm sure they're all, particularly in George's case, you know, about to explode and we get to sort of contractually nab them before they get too <laughs> big.
0: <laughs> well, you say that, and then you've also got Dilruk J. Sr. involved. So, you know, it's kind of potato, potato.
1: <laughs> we um, Dil was the only sort of guy friend from the stand-up world who we got on board, um, and the others are all these, you know, very, very – Serious and by serious, I mean talented mm. actors. And, and Georgia as Wednesday has been a, a personal highlight in, in the series because she's really one of the only really believable characters. The others are all, you know, we're all very plain caricatures and it's very big and so on. I shouldn't yes. say the only believable because actually um, the two female leads are both the two believable ones. But Wednesday is, is a very beautifully subtle and understated performance. And um, it, yes, by episode six, she's had quite a journey without giving it much else oh, away. Right.
0: I, I can only imagine, and I, I I do an offer that that my uh, joke about Dill is it, it completely that he is really good in that that sort of other. Uh, what does he play? A lawyer or is it like a? a <laughs> he's, he's, he's just in the office. Borkman's
1: bitch, we call him. He he, he yeah. he's the boss's little pet, and he um, and, and he's a, he's a very good example of you know in terms of the the scripts. We, Randy and I, just love you know ongoing jokes. We've got credit jokes in this show. You know, like you've got to stay to the end of the credits to see them, and all these things like that, and and. Um, the, the first Someone's scene,
0: therapist the, turns up in the, in the credits as well yeah. as they rolled.
1: <laughs> so it's, it's all. Um, it, so that first scene with, with Dilruk, Dilruk, mm-hmm. Dilruk J. Singer, who plays Michael J. Singer in the show, just because we liked the idea that the backstory to that joke is a fictional <laughs> executive who couldn't <laughs> handle the name Dilruk as a character. So anglicized it. <laughs> and that's in every credit sequence. Dilruk J. Singer as Michael J. Singer, you know, it's just stupid stuff like that, yeah. but he's, yeah, that his his introductory scene. In episode one is actually a setup for a joke that comes back in episode six, episode oh six. Christ. So there is a lot of little threads we're trying to weave. Whether it all works, uh, you know, time will tell.
0: It's an investment, though, from an audience, isn't it, to get them involved? Compared to a you know an hour show where they're sitting there and everyone's in and we can all buy in. When it's six, eight, ten episodes, uh, particularly for comedy, you really want them to hang around. So having that stuff peppered through, I think, really draws in this is a bad phrase, but draws in the comedy nerds, the people, the fans who are like, yeah, yeah, we love this stuff. And, oh, yeah, we got this thing that was something else that was three episodes ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and,
1: so and key. There are many, many jokes in this show that that we, as, as we wrote them and as we shot them, uh, we knew that they were just there for a small percentage of the audience, the little visual things in the background or a mine. Mm. But that's what it's all about, you know, and, and for me personally, you know, all the shows that you mentioned in my, in my introduction, you know, none of those have uh been my own projects they've been someone else's project that i've been worked on but but uh, that meant of course i didn't have this sort of control and also the largely often you know topical based sketch stuff so you're, you're just churning stuff mm. out each week and it's very different to having a year to actually craft a show and so randy and i just love that opportunity to actually you know sort of have that bird's eye view of the series and even up until day one of filming and throughout filming you can suddenly go oh my gosh if we put a line in here that references a joke from here and just trying to make this big lovely jigsaw that um uh, you know whatever people say about it, it, it was still a, it was very much a realised uh, vision of it's it's very much the show we wanted to make, which which is a very satisfying feeling.
0: There's also a great smattering of other excellent Australian comics just popping up in little bits of roles or stuff all around the place. You've got Francis Greenslade, who's in a number of episodes, yes, uh, as a bit of a nemesis for you. Uh, Dave Callan, David Quirk, and Edmonds, Geraldine Hickey, Kate McLennan. There's a bunch of yeah, people there, all and, great talent.
1: And Jen Morris, who is just a yeah. huge fan of uh, – it, and, you yeah, know, that was just the that's sort of the cherry on top when you finally written the show and you get to casting and you suddenly go, oh, gosh, let's, let's get some friends on board who we're going to have fun with and who we know will, will nail these roles. Um, so that was – yeah, that was just a real highlight because it was something quite surreal about being on set with, you know, your comic friends who you've been touring with and so on and then actually – bringing bringing this stupid shit to life
0: as fans of good game will know no comedian cuts a rug like dave Cullen.
1: exactly and that is why uh it was almost a stipulation uh from him to me when i told him this series was being made that he had to be involved in a dance sequence and i'm Thanks. happy to uh, reveal exclusively right now that uh you'll see dave Cullen dancing in episode two steve
0: Yes, I c- cannot wait. it is so great. And that's the other angle of course that, that the com- the comedy that you and and Randy deliver is punctuated with these wonderful songs uh, that in a, a television context become great set pieces that that either you know deliver a gag on the narrative or or extend you know we've now got to move on to this so we'll have this great song that allows us to progress the conversation about the census and those sorts of things, for example. Uh, they, they work really well. Sometimes they, you know, you can have songs that feel, oh, we've shoehorned this one in. Mm. Uh, but these are all really natural to the script you guys have got around them.
1: Well, thank you. And, that, well, that's certainly the intention. And I think we, um, you know, I, I, we, we had the benefit of being musical comedians and also in my solo work I've sort of learned over the years you know, at least if not how to write a funny song, when to get out of a song that's not funny. And so I agree, you know, musical comedy often has a very bad name for very good reason and, and um, mm. uh, because songs can go too long and they can be sugar on and so on. There is not one song in this series that is over 80 seconds. I'm, I'm happy to report that to your listeners. <laughs> um, and all of them with two exceptions were written just for, for the show because just like you said, sometimes I try and wedge a song in that already existed. And it just slows everything up, and it's just like, well, "Why have it there?" So, every every song tries to act as a turning point for the storyline. Um, and there were some interesting little, you know, challenges. Because one moment, we, I seen in episode four um, where I'm trying to seduce my boss in order to get my job back. That's not really a spoiler alert, so much as no. a, uh,
0: hopefully that makes people want to watch it. I think hints <laughs> of that are in the trailer anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are actually. Yeah, I'm definitely dressed as a woman, um, but I am. Um, the original version was was uh, because our, uh, Borkman, the character, is a big fan of Kevin Costner. And so we were going to have me uh, singing Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You, which um, fans of <laughs> Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves will know was <laughs> yes. um, made famous by that film. But then, of course, you know, in the three weeks before filming, we get word that there's no way in hell that we can afford to pay for the rights to that song. So <laughs> so we had to very quickly write another song, which became one of my favourite songs of, of, of the, the series. And it was written very quickly and then suddenly went to film and A little example of where you know, obviously, first of all, original content always trumps non-original content, but also the the, the chance to use music um, because the song is called "I Want to Bang You in the Toilets" and it's one (laughs) of my personal (laughs) favourites.
0: And the sweet, sweet dollars will roll in. We we should wait and
1: see. Um, If not, a lawsuit from Kevin Costner, because um, as one of those little, you know, nerdy jokes that we referred to earlier. uh, every episode title from the series is named after a Kevin Costner film. Um, And they're not relevant to the episode itself at all. (laughs) So we just wanted to see that in the Green Guide when it goes to print. You've got the Postman, the Bodyguard, Dances with Wolves. And then the final episode, we just um, picked his most obscure film. So the final episode is called Malibu Hot Summer.
0: Oh, that's that's very, very good. That's one for this
1: very niche audience of Costner nerds out there.
0: I'm disappointed there's no episode called The Untouchables. Oh, series two, my friend. Oh, there's a Series two. There is hope, people. We can all water world together.
1: Yeah, and and, and by that stage, the show will be such a massive worldwide hit that Kevin Costner will be begging us for a cameo.
0: Yes, just a walk-on as a waiter or something. In in the background, yeah. Mm, Kevin Costner as Kevin Costner the waiter. (laughs) Now, it's an interesting thing, and this is another one for the comedy nerds as much as anything else. When you did Ricketts Lane uh, on stage, you guys were directed by Alan Bro for that, yes? We were indeed. And the television series is directed by his brother, Jonathan Bro. It is indeed. What's going on with the bromance?
1: Big cock up, Steve, big cock up. We asked for a bro, but
0: <laughs> they didn't. They didn't they understand. It was a full free. stop
1: after the. After the <laughs> a.
0: We're too polite
1: to knock him back. It was just bizarre, like because Jonathan is uh, mm. only just very, very
0: capable in and of himself. too. I don't want to deride that? Oh no!
1: Well, he's you know exceptionally. We we owe a great deal to him. Or if the show flops horribly, we have a lot, yeah, lot fault, to blame probably. him for. <laughs> but he um he's only just moved to Australia like in the last year, so he's he he, he the resemblance to his brother is, is is there, and he you know and he's got the Kiwi accent accent and all that, but. All the references and all the sort of you know the circles you're moving because we'll, we'll obviously know Alan and have worked with Alan a lot, but mm. it, it was you know it was there was no hint of him being Alan's brother in that sense you know like he, he hadn't even seen yeah. he hadn't even watched a lot of Specs and Specs for example and you know and, and it didn't really ha- have that same sort of language and, and and in point to the local industry which was really great he just happened to be the of all the directors who who we'd spoken to he was the guy who got on board so much and was just the the thing that he he. That we loved about him when we first met him and that came true in the filming was that he was the one who was always pushing us to make a joke bigger and bolder and filthier and louder you know rather Excellent. than rather than trying to pull us back, which is you know for comedians and when it's your own work that's 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 the death knell of comedy when someone's trying to make you be more conservative or take less risks. He was yeah. like, no, let's just because this is a big loud stupid show it's a, it's it's a basically a live cartoon that's how we view it and and he he sort of he he seemed really excited by that and Sure enough, when we're standing on set and he's the guy going, yeah, no, I think we need more vomit in this scene. That's when we knew that we'd, we'd pick the right guy.
0: <laughs> well, there's, there's certainly nothing small about Randy's character, that's for sure. So I, I completely uh, get that. The important thing, I guess, Randy, uh, Sammy J, that we learn out of all of this is is twofold. Um, one, you guys, uh, you and the ABC, are helping get another Kiwi off work for the doll, <laughs> which is really important. Um, and and secondarily, I can't remember what I was going to say, so it's irrelevant.
1: Well, um, I'll I'll, I'll help you out because I'll also confess that the director of photography, Dave Cameron, who is in a huge part responsible for that aesthetic and the look that you mentioned and that Mm. sort of yellowy vibe to the show, he's also a Kiwi, so
0: (laughs) two of them. How's that? It's important. I mean, they're coming over and taking our jobs. Yep. So they may as well take the ones that nobody wanted.
1: (laughs) Like directing our show, is that what you're saying? They're Uh, they're taking our jobs and ruining our television programs.
0: You're joining the dots on this, not me, right? <laughs> I did want to ask if it's okay. Yes. And and, and you can dispel the possible rumour or confirm it. You're a bonsai nut.
1: I am. You know what, Steve? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, you have just made me so happy. And this is a quick backstory, Please. Um and because I, I'm very much enjoying talking to you, so I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to get rid of any pretenses. So I'm just going to tell you the honest truth. I inserted the fact that I'm a bonsai nut into my website biography four days ago,
0: because we're serious? about to
1: start this press junket for the show. And I wanted to see how many people took it seriously and how many questions I got asked. Um, but, and you're the first person to, to nibble. And um, so I'm coming clean to you because you know, mm. I feel like we're friends, but next time, hopefully it's like, on the Today Show or something, and someone brings it up, and I'm committing the fuck to the idea that I am a bonsai enthusiast. And what did I write? I think I said I won fifth yeah, place at the Penang. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, that was actually mid-interview. I was I was because I saw someone had been reading, you know, like Wikipedia page and so on, and so I just jumped onto my website and, and updated it. Um, so thank you so much for not only reading the bio, but also for also beginning this hopeful, hopefully very long standing uh, rumor that I am indeed a big fan of the bonsai. I, I, I feel like i just, I really should have committed just then in the last minute. I really just ruined the whole joke, haven't I?
0: Oh, only for people, oh, the two people that listen to the podcast.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I like to think this is a secret club. And so for all, all the listeners now, anyone over the next few weeks or years or decades, every time you see me posing in front of a bonsai plant with a big cheesy grin on my face, <laughs> you know that it is part, just another one of my stupid jokes.
0: Oh, it's going to make the promo. There's no question. Sammy J's secret love, bonsai and because you're not on Twitter you won't be able to stop that exactly uh,
1: nor will the, the, I be able to receive all the abuse from real bonsai enthusiasts
0: yeah I yeah, well, look and, and I'll, I'll be pointing people to it and they'll become, <laughs> what are you he's not actually that's not a thing i, I will offer it. it did waste about 15 minutes of my life as I then went looking for uh, proof slash evidence oh, brilliant of you having, because I'd like to do my research properly. Right? No, no,
1: I respect that. And so, tell me though, going into that question three minutes ago, did you did you believe nonetheless it was still one hundred percent true, or did you have severe doubts?
0: I was willing to take your word on it. However, I noted that as you're a comedian, any shit could be in that bio. Yeah, nice. Must so have, I think you were,
1: you were, yeah, you approached it in the right in the right spirit, and it'll be alarming, and I think um, not surprising how many. Journos not don't necessarily do that. I, I once had a media release saying that I was born of a gypsy woman um, <laughs> in the desert, <laughs> and they opened the interview with that live on TV. It's awesome. Great. So you were born um, in a gypsy family, and I, <laughs> and um, you know it's gorgeous. It's 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 you know, real life is so boring, Steve. Why why would why would anyone spend time talking about it when when there's, there's beautiful fiction just around the corner at any point?
0: The best part is that because this is an ABC program uh, and they will want to promote you accordingly, you will end up on the couch with Michael Rowland and Virginia Trioli. I think we're actually and booked you in. No, <laughs> they will ask.
1: Uh, well, I was hoping he could go either that or I get a guest spot on Gardening Australia. <laughs> oh, please. That would oh, be the
0: ultimate. It would be delightful.
1: And I just have to bluff my way through. I'm up for a challenge.
0: Yeah, look, gosh, it's not hard, right? You just got to imagine that little tree on the back of the Karate Kid's outfit. Exactly.
1: And I just like to think of Bonsai Steve as just a metaphor for life. You know, are are we not all trying to trim our wings,
0: you know? Shape and control everything. Very much so. Very much so. Mm. Something in that for all of us. (laughs) You crazy man. Uh, Yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask you also something else that I know is truth and, and something that is very dear to your heart. You work uh, a lot with the Big Brothers and Big Sisters program. Yes, indeed. Now, how, how did you get involved in that? Um,
1: I actually was a volunteer 10 years ago um, whilst I was struggling through my law degree, which ultimately I dropped out of and mm. chose comedy. But I sort of had this, I wouldn't say existential crisis, but just a sense of being a, you know a dude in Melbourne who was, Having a nice old life and, and and felt like I wanted to contribute something, um, uh, and, and so I just volunteered with Big Brothers and Big Sisters because it felt it was actually not a huge commitment. It's a couple of hours a week, um, mm-hmm. hanging out with with someone who who needs a mentor in their life. And in fact, the big commitment was the actual application process because they're very good with you know what they do. They, it's sure. home visits and and police checks and all that sort of stuff. But um, no, it was great and I had a wonderful time with with my little uh, little metaphorical brother for a couple of years. And then I stayed involved as a comedian doing helping with fundraising and stuff and doing comedy spots. And then a couple of years ago they approached me to be more of an official am- ambassador, um, which has been great because it's, you know, I, I like that I can actually be, speak about the the, the organisation because I actually have a real history. So that's my first joke I make at fundraisers these days is, <laughs> uh, unlike Bono, I actually have been there and lived <laughs> not to back Bono because he's done a lot more for the world than I have. But, um, you know, rather than just getting on board a random um, charity or anything, you know, I, I actually do, have history with this one, so it's a very natural fit for me. And um, yeah, I try and stay involved. And it, it's where, where it works well is that right now, for example, it, it's in my biography, and so people are more likely to bring it up to talk about it, and it raises that little bit of awareness, which is you know hopefully um, a small way I can contribute.
0: Can you confirm right now today that your involvement with Randy? is actually the Big Brothers Big Sisters program (laughs) going wild.
1: I am willing to confess that he indeed came to me seeking a mentor and uh, it's been all downhill ever since. We've formally formally cut ties from the program, though.
0: Well, understandably so, right? (laughs) Because I was going to say, I can just imagine generations of felt-faced, you know, young, purple, green, yellow kids – just walking around and saying well this is what Sammy J said I had to do. Yeah, this is
1: <laughs> this is just the advice. This is how to take myself away from my at-risk behavior.
0: How did this partnership with with Randy get up?
1: It uh, 100% honest answer is, is um, uh, 10 years ago. Almost well, I think October was the night that we first met at a a gig. It was at the Vibe Hotel in Smith Street, uh, Collingwood in Melbourne. Um and we were both on the same bill for a comedy night, and Randy was the yes. MC, and I was just doing my, my musical comedy stuff. And um, there's actually this lovely footage that I've got that I still of, of Randy introducing me on stage, and it was the first time we'd ever met, and so we and, and we just had a bit of banter together, and that was <laughs> so so. Um, in a way, for us certainly, a little bit of history was being made that night because we met each other, we liked each other's stuff, and then I was doing some solo shows at the Butterfly Club, a wonderful cabaret place mm-hmm. in Melbourne, and um, they invited me to do this sort of late night weekly uh, shows and uh, I invited Randy to join me because I was freaking out and so we started doing these weekly shows together which are sort of at 11 o'clock at night drunk crowd and we were just taking the piss out of the week's news and we did that for like 12 weeks it was relentless but you know in the early days you sort of just do what you got to do do what you got to do and you know the amount of stuff we were writing and just burning material every week but it stood us in very good stead for when we went on to do things like Good News World which was you know very tight turnaround talking about the news of the week and so on so um, it was a great... Uh, educational experience that way, but more importantly, we just got to know each other really well and found that our senses of humour were just completely in sync, much as we often, uh, you know, will disagree on the best way to present a joke. Um, we always have the same ultimate joke in our heads. And so that's how we sort of approach the collaboration.
0: It's, it's certainly paid off we, we have all benefit i i will offer I'm yet to see you guys live and that is my loss uh but i'm looking forward to seeing when the next opportunity happens in my uh regional capital city
1: well we we you know if the show goes well rest assured we will be doing a shameless cash grab in every regional <laughs> in the center of australia um if it doesn't the duo is officially over it was an experiment that did not work and um we'll walk away but it it, it if I may be sincere it's, it's actually lovely to hear you say that that you haven't seen us live because, you know, we we sort of have been in our heads just, you know, uh, snippets of the show and stuff that we watch. We had a screening in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, but that was mm-hmm. to a, a, cr- a crowd of our fans, people who, who know us. And so it was sort of fairly weighted in our favour. But the entire question as to whether this show works, it's, it, it hinges on people who have never seen us before and whether they like it and get on board our style. So um, it's it's a thrilling mystery Steve
0: It's bloody funny is what it is, Sammy J. It really is going to be um, a cracking series, people. Make sure that you get on it. It's coming to ABC iview from the 1st of September. The entire series will be available and then will be broadcast on ABC proper, the actual televisual thing, uh, in October. Uh, all, All I can offer is that it is just a half an hour here and there, well spent. It's delightfully funny and uh yeah, it's so great, Sammy J. Congratulations on Ricketts It's Late. It's going to be excellent. Steve, thank you so much.
1: And, um, yeah, the, you, you, people can yeah, sort of do the whole binge thing, which it sort of breaks my balls, the idea of so much, years of work and then, you know, some little – 13-year-old shit will watch it all in two and a half hours and move on with their lives. But, look, that's the way of the world, isn't it? <laughs> so um, I hope that your listeners do enjoy it very much so. Um, if they don't, full respect, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. We, we love the show ourselves, so hopefully a couple of other people do too.
0: Follow Malk on Twitter at Malk's TV Talk. How can people now find you in the world of the technology things?
1: Ah, well, they can follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I am really trying to get the most Twitter follower of anyone who does not tweet. That's one of my personal jokes, so they can get on board that. But uh, Facebook, if they search for Facebook, Sammy J. Facebook, um, I do regular updates, and also Sammy J and Randy, we do regular updates together um, within the world of, of, of Ricketts Lane. So, um, yeah, jump on, and, and you'll be sort of subjected to our relentless shenanigans as for as long as you choose.
0: I will include your Twitter handle in the show notes just because it's gonna prove, if nothing else, somewhat frustrating or fruitless for the people that do want to sign up in the hope that eventually one day you'll get the box back and we'll get to to find out what that tweet was.
1: Yeah, or I finally hit like a million followers and then I'll just sell my first tweet to like Coke. <laughs> 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 and just retire.
0: Yeah that's right. Uh, Sammy J only drinks Coke. <laughs>
1: What a horrible way to end my career.
0: That'd be amazing. (laughs) Or or begin it. I mean, it really depends on if Kim Kardashian can have bajillions of everything and that's pretty much all she does, right? Is hawk and and prostitute herself out to whatever the next big product or something that has the money to pony up the dough. Why can't
1: you? (laughs) I'm just yeah, I'm just playing the long game. I'm just making it so you really people are really gonna fight for that one tweet space. A juice box endorsement. Yeah.
0: No, that wouldn't happen. I've tried. They don't want to borrow me. That's outrageous. Yeah. Do they not know a pin-up? Anyway. Look, yeah. Don't get me started on, on
1: the company behind Prima and their reluctance to give me freebies. Damn
0: it. Well, thank you, Sammy J. And thank you, everyone else, for joining us this week on Mox TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Malks TV Talk and find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesdays, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. And please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Sammy J say...
1: My name is Sammy J and I support this podcast. Good night.